bit. And if you were, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, I posted a picture, and uh, it was a picture of my dad and my son. And interestingly enough, um, that was the first time they were all together in the same place. Actually, first time my son had met my dad, and uh, we were down in Dallas, Texas. Why does this mic always do this to me? I swear every time I start this mic, some of these mics always go out every single week. I don't know why that is. Am I doing, is it, do I have like a metal piece on me or something? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but it was the first time we all uh, met together and it was a great trip. And I got a chance to spend some time with family and be down there in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina for a youth rally. And uh, I was telling my wife and the team that Next year, I would love to bring a group of our youth and young adults down to Charlotte uh, for the Youth Revive Youth Rally. It should be a lot of fun. So really glad to be back. Really glad to push through the rest of the summer. I, I like summer here. I know summer is not always a, a week that or uh, times when people go to church uh, during the summer. They like to do other things. and There's nothing wrong with that. I tend to like the summer. I tend to love to be out in the community. And I am looking forward to what's going to happen in the fall. So over the next couple of weeks, you'll hear me talk a little bit more about the fall launch. And here's, here's really, if I could just cast a vision for you, uh, what we are, we are praying for. So you see these cloth seats, we have 100 of them and we want every single one of them filled, uh, between September to December. That's it. We want to break that, break that 100 and we want it every single week. That's pretty much the goal. Now, again, this is not for our, um, you know, personal purposes or anything. We just believe that there's some people who need to know there's a church here for them. And we just got to step up our game. So I'm excited about the fall and what's going to happen. And I think we'll get to the point uh, really soon where you won't have anywhere to sit. We'll just have to keep buying more chairs and keep keep doing it. But I'm excited about it. So as Charles mentioned, uh, I'm, we're closing up the series, and Charles did a great job last week. If you here for his message last week, um, he did a great job last week, and we joked about it that he he had actually did a great caveat because he mentioned the text that I'm going to preach from today, and it's found in Revelation chapter 21. Here's what it says. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Prada, Visashi, the whole thing. And I heard a loud shout from the throne say, look, God's home is now among his people. God says, I'm moving. I'm putting my heaven house for sale and I'm moving down to earth and I'm going to be with them. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. So I titled, as we finish this series, my favorite verse. This is my, one of my favorite verses is this uh, verse in 
verse 4 particularly, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. How many of you are tired of death? Be no more sorrow. How many of you can't wait to the day there's no more sorrow? And no more crying. No more pain. All these things are gone forever. That's the title of my message today. All these things are gone. I'm excited about uh, the fact that when Jesus comes again, when it's all over, that all these things are going to be gone. Now, here's the thing. When I think about technology, I'm not really like a technological person, um, but I like technology. One of my, my things about technology that I don't like is that eventually my technology gets outdated. Like it just gets to the point where it's obsolete. I think I have almost every iPhone I've ever owned in my drawer. Like I got the iPhone 3, like the first one I first bought. And I know it doesn't work. I know it's completely obsolete. But there's just something about it that I just keep hanging on to it. I've got probably all the computers I've ever purchased. Like it's, it's bad. I keep stuff. I don't mean to keep it, but I just do. I'm not the kind of person that wants a new phone right away. Because I get attached to stuff. You see this, this, even this one right here, like this iPad is completely cracked. And I'm just cutting my finger. I have no fingernails, no fingertips anymore because of this button is cracked. But I can't let it go because I'm upset with the fact that this is going to be obsolete. You may not know this, but in a lot of ways, I share a lot in common with our brother, uh, Elder Simeon Francis, and that I'm old school. I'm old school about some stuff, Elder. I'm not really too excited about cars that drive by themselves. I'm not too much excited about every little thing that's happening. Um, I realize that Amazon is taking over the world, literally. We were on the runway both times, going to Dallas, coming back. And there were just as many prime planes as there were regular planes. It's crazy. I found out Amazon... Has its, it's developing its own delivery service. It's about to put UPS and the postal service out of business. You will soon be able to get anything from Amazon. There are some cities you can get something from Amazon in one hour. If you have a shopping addiction, please do not move to Seattle. Because you can literally get what you want in an hour. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I like things to stick around for a while. I like to treasure things. But when God is talking about all things being made new in this text, he's talking about that. He's saying the old earth and the old heaven is going to be obsolete. What I've got prepared for you is not just an upgrade. It's a completely different version. And there's nothing in this earth that we have now and in this heaven that we see that is going to be able to sustain itself in the new heaven and the new earth. God's like, I'm getting ready to do something completely new. And I love the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is Jesus' opportunity to kind of give his biopic movie. Like, it's him telling you the whole picture. He says, I want you to understand what I was doing before I came and what I'm what I did in the earth and what I'm going to do when it's all over with. Jesus pretty much gives you a heads up of who he really is. 
You read the book of Revelation. I know it may at first sound a little weird. It's a prophetic book. So it's got all these symbols. And if you're, especially if you're new to the Bible, you're probably like, what in the world is going on? Let me just tell you, Game of Thrones, HBO ain't got nothing on the book of Revelation. I'm telling you. No cartoon series, no movie. It is crazy. One of my favorite scenes in the book of Revelation when it talks about Jesus coming back as the conquering king. And it says he has Lord of Lords, King of Kings tattooed on his thigh. Jesus come back, tatted up. I mean, it's crazy. And I love it because he's trying to give us a picture of how serious he is and how much work he has put in to give us salvation. And so I'm going to give you my sermon up front. I'm going to tell you why it's my favorite verse. I'm going to give you the reason why and the hope I want to share with you today is that God is still at work. God is still at work. God is not waiting to do more work. God has not just completed everything and we're stuck in the middle of it. No, God is still at work. He's not given up on the earth. He's not given up on you. He is still at work. And that's why I love this particular text. Let's go back and look at it just a little bit. I want to unpack a little bit more of it. As John the Revelator writes this, he says, I saw a new heaven, new earth, for the old earth and heaven and old earth had disappeared. And the sea was gone. And he's speaking prophetically. He's seeing a vision of what it's going to be like after Jesus comes again. Jesus does not need to sneak into the earth. Jesus coming again is like the, the climax of all history. It's him coming back to the earth for those who he has redeemed. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be loud. It's going to be brilliant and spectacular. Everyone is going to know that Jesus has returned. So he's speaking of that time. And he says, I saw the holy city, right? The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Jerusalem is not just a actual city, but it is a symbolism of the city of God, the place where God dwelled, the place he chose to be. And so John is describing that this new city, this is heaven. This is really what we're looking forward to. It's coming down. He's seeing this city. And later he describes what the city looks like. I don't have time to do it today, but it's very beautiful. The Bible gives us a description of what it just could be like. We really can't imagine and visualize what it's going to be like. But this city coming down like a bride, you hear that language, this beautiful woman. She's fine, right? You know how a beautiful woman looks. You know how you look on your wedding day. I don't care. Every woman is fine on her wedding day. I've seen every, every woman is a knockout on her wedding day. I, I, it's just what it is. It's just how it goes. Every, and that's why if you're a bridesmaid, you get those funny-looking dresses that never fit right. And your hair, because you can't look better than the bride. It's, just, it's against the rule. You can't do it. And she's going to find the worst dress in, on, in, on Amazon to give you to make sure you don't look better than her. And if I was a woman, I'd do the same thing. And so the sister's hooked up. And it says, I heard a loud voice shout from the throne. Who do you think sitting on the throne? Who do you think the boss is on the throne? Jesus, the conqueror, is on the throne. He said, I heard a voice shout from the throne. My man was on the throne. He said, look. God's house, home, 
is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. I think Jesus is proud to make this announcement. I think he's proud to say, hey, everybody, I got an announcement to make. I'm moving in. I'm bringing heaven to you. I'm getting ready to set this up to where I'm going to live among you. I'm not, I don't want to live separate from you. I want to live with you. I want to be close to you. I want to be next to you. I want to be with you. That's the heart of God. God's heart is that he wants to be with us. The world we live in, the sin that runs through us, that this world right now is permitting us to being with him. When we read the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it tells us that from the beginning, it was God's intention that he would be with his people. And sin has separated him from us. But God's ultimate goal is for us to be with him. He wants to be with us. And then the verse 4 says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Are you seeing this? Like, he's personally going to wipe it. He's I don't know how how he's going to do it, but he is personally going to wipe forever the tears from your eyes. And he's saying there will be no more death. In other words, death will no longer be in existence. It will never happen again. There will never be death. There will never be separation. There won't be sorrow. There won't be nothing to cry about. There won't be any pain. All these things are gone. And this is significant because you get to see the picture of what God wants. God does not want us to suffer. God does not want us to experience pain. He doesn't want us to have sickness. He doesn't want us to be separated from our family members and those who love us. He does not want crime. He does not want discrimination. He does not want hatred. He wants us to be with him. And the work of salvation which pretty much means the work of him saving us is a work that he initiated. It's his decision. It's his choice because he wants to be with us. God is not sitting on a throne with a huge red button just waiting to send us to hell. That's not the picture of God. God's like, I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to be with them. And I'm moving heaven and earth so that I can be with them. In fact, the book of Revelation actually gives us a picture of the work that God is doing in in really three places. In the cosmos, which is kind of another word for for the universe. In the cosmos, in the earth, and in us, in humanity, in you. That God is working in all these three places. In the cosmos, in the world we can't see, in the universe that we don't even know about. All those places that he's created that we have no idea that can't come to us because we're literally quarantined by sin. All of the unfallen worlds, as the Bible teaches us, that there are worlds that have not fallen. And all those places in the cosmos, behind the scenes, all the spiritual powers. And then in the earth, what happens in the earth? God is working in that. There is no place where God is not working. And then in humanity, he came, we know that he came in the flesh to to be like us, to save us. And then the work that he's doing with us. Revelation tells us that there was a war in heaven. 
There was a war in heaven. There was a dispute, an argument. And that in heaven, there was this angel who was like the lead angel. He was the highest ranking angel. His name was Lucifer. And the Bible in, in, um, in Isaiah and Ezekiel explains what happened to him. Basically, what he started doing is he started looking at himself. He basically got to the point to say, I don't need God. I don't need God. I can do this on my own. And he started feeling himself. He started getting pumped up. And there was war in heaven. There was a UFC fight in heaven. And Jesus drop kicked him. Since my boy Chris is here, I got to say it. He Bobby Boucher the devil. <laughs> I always laugh about that. And, and, and he kicked the devil out of heaven to the earth. And the Bible says that he came to earth. That's not good news for us because we live here. Now, good, good old-fashioned Adventist language will call this the great controversy. In fact, there's a whole book written by one of our church planners called The Great Controversy. It's an amazing book. And this book describes this conflict. And in this conflict, basically, Lucifer, now Satan's accusation is that God is not fair. That God doesn't love us truly, and he's trying to control us. And so this whole battle of salvation to save us, because war started in heaven, and then it dropped to the earth, and then sin is introduced in the earth. And guess what? Now sin is introduced in us, and so there's a great controversy in the cosmos, in the earth, and in you. Let me put it this way. If there could be war in heaven... In the presence of God, why wouldn't you expect there'd be war in your house? Two people getting together. That's war. Matter of fact, you don't even got to go that deep. Because that's what happened to the enemy. There was war in himself. We got enough war battling in ourselves, right? We got enough going on inside of me. You're like, Pastor, you just be glad that I'm here. Because if you was to see me last night, the church would be upset. We'd have to get baptized every single week. But God's grace, <laughs> it's not necessary, but God, God's grace and his power and his love and his work is working thoroughly through the cosmos, through the earth, and through humanity. So you're going to be real deep when you get home and say, you know what? I, I, I studied today that the Lord is working in the cosmos. And you're like, oh, that's deep. What does that mean? You have to come into my church. I'll break it down later. Let me, let me take you to another uh, text because the reason I want you to understand this, if I go back to my sermon, uh, the point I want you to know today is that God is still at work. We read about the picture of how God wants it to show up. We read about the new hurt, the new Evan, and no crying. That's the ideal. That's where he wants to get to. And so if that's his goal, God is still working towards that goal. That has not come yet. Now, one of these days, I'm going to teach you from the Bible of what happens when we die. What happens? What really happens? Who's in heaven? Who's not in heaven? Because it's important to the work of salvation to understand what is happening. And God is still working. So that means as long as you've got breath in your lungs, that God is still working. That there's no situation that is out of reach of his care and his authority. So let's go check this out. This is Colossians chapter 1. 
uh, and I want to break this down. This is some good theology, right? I want to build this picture for you, some understanding uh, for who Jesus is and, and, what, and what he means. So let's, let's read this. First, uh, this is Colossians, a New Testament book, chapter 1. Here's what it says. Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Can we stop there for a second? Let's break it down. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Nobody, the Bible says, has seen God. Nobody's seen him. Nobody's seen God in his purest sense. But Jesus is the visible image of God. You might have heard, well, there's the God of the Old Testament and there's the God of the New Testament. Can I just tell you something? It's the same God. There's no such thing as a mean old God in the Old Testament that killed people. It's the same God in the Old Testament that kills people. It's the same God in the New Testament that kills people. It's just, it's just that Jesus is the walking, visible expression of who he is. He, Jesus shows us what the Father is like. And so, but, but the Bible's clear that he existed before anything was created. In other words, although Jesus is a son, he's not created. Jesus is not a created being. Let's, let's, let's go into this. He is supreme. He is over all creation. Verse 16. And for through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms. That's the cosmos, right? And on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So let's break that down. So Jesus on behalf of the Godhead, team God, whatever, the organization of God, whatever you want to, how you want to see it. Jesus on behalf of God is the creator of all things. And I want you to get this. He created all things. Things we can see, things we can't see. Things in the cosmos and things in the earth. Things inside of you that you can't see. Things that you don't know anything about. Jesus himself created all those things. And he created them through him and for him. All these things were not created for you. They're created for him. Now, let's keep reading because it gets better. He existed before anything else. Look at this. He holds all of creation together. Every solar system, every universe, every life in every solar system in every universe Every star, everything that has life, every being, every energy source, everybody in the earth, both seen and unseen, even the devil himself, 
Jesus holds it all in his hand. He's holding it all together at the same time. Okay. Everything that's happened in your life since you were an infant, every opportunity, every trial, every negative thing, he is orchestrating and working it out to bring you salvation. At the same time. So he's orchestrated it and, org- and worked it out that you would be here today. He didn't decide for you. But he orchestrated that this person would invite you to church. Or this person would be invited in your life. Or these people would to get together. And he's holding it all together. It gets better. Christ is also, he says, the head of the church. Now he wanted to make sure this is clear. And this is what the church role is. This is what our role is. Which is the body, which is his body. So if Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, his church is the body, that means we are to be the reflection of God in the earth. Right, okay. That's another good sermon, but it's, it's, it's really good. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead so he's the first in everything not only is he the creator not only is he sustaining everything he is the first in other words he is the primary he's the one in authority over everything makes sense because if he snaps his finger it's like Thanos for real it's just like that for real like click and it's all over it's all over with and nobody would know the difference Everything in all the unseen worlds, all the universes would drop if Jesus just took his hand off it for one second. So let's go to the next verse. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So in other words, God was happy about Christ coming to the earth for us. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross so let's break this down remember we read God created everything Jesus himself in the cosmos in the earth everything that's breathing and living as we talked about there is this great controversy, right? Because sin has been introduced into to the earth. There is a resistance to God's plan. There is a barrier. So what Jesus says, I'm in charge of everything I've created, but I didn't create death. I didn't create sin. And I didn't create pain. I didn't create sorrow. So check out what Jesus did. Jesus says, okay, since I'm in charge of everything I created, I'm going to come into the human experience. I'm just kind of visualizing this. I'm going to come into the human experience so that I can be in charge of death, pain, sorrow, so that nothing can keep them from me. Mm, isn't that good? She said, okay, so I'm going to come into the earth. I'm going to take on all of the sin. I'm going to inhabit it. 
and I'm going to experience death so that I can become victor, victor, have victory over it so that I'm in charge of everything. So I'm going to take over what I created and what I didn't create so I can be in charge of everything. So there's nothing that can keep. I think you understand what that means. And so, and so Jesus says, I've made reconciliation through the cross. The cross demonstrated that I am now in charge of sin and death and the grave and sorrowing. It all has to flow through me. And I made peace with you. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. God didn't offend anybody. But God says, it's fine. I'm going to lead this and I'm going to make reconciliation for you. Two more verses. So this includes you who are far away from God. Listen to what God is trying to tell us today. You were his enemies. Right? We were against God. We were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But what did God do? Yet now he has reconciled you through to himself, through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. In other words, Jesus reached down into the depths of hell and snatched you out and put you behind his back and walked to his father and he's looking for you, but he says, okay, it's all right, he's with me. And God's like, cool, because you're in charge of everything. He's, he sought you out in your addiction, in your pain, in your dysfunction. He's looking for you. He's snatching you out of it. What am I trying to tell you? God is still at work. Even if you are resisting him, even if you are pushing him away, even if you are pushing people in your life that he sent to you, he's telling you there is nothing you can do that can keep me from coming after you. I'm in charge. I'm going after you whether you like it or not. I can't control you. I can't make you decide. But every moment you wake up, I am going to be working on your behalf, on things seen and unseen. Because some of you are fighting things that you can't see. That addiction that you're struggling with, that addiction didn't just show up in you. That bitterness that you're struggling with, that insecurity, that pain, that didn't show up with you. That's a generational thing. And your parents and your grandparents can get the victory over it. And you have figured out that Jesus is in charge. And so all I got to do is invite him to come lead. And he will remove the pain and the sorrow. The removal of sorrow and pain and death is not just for them. It's for now. Because what is made in this earth can't survive in the new earth. And so God has to restore us now. God has to bring peace now. He has brought reconciliation to us now. So that in heaven we might rejoice. And that we might experience God. What am I trying to tell you? That God is working. In every hospital room, he's working. In every boardroom, 
he's working. In every bedroom, he's working. In every crack house, he's working. In the White House, he's working. In all these places that we might feel it's out of control, I'm afraid. God says, no, no, no. I'm in charge of this. And things that are seen and unseen. You've got to trust in me that I'm working on your behalf. There is a future that I see. If you just take some time to let me show you, I'm working for a desired future. And the future is that I want you to be with me. But I want you to be a part of the body of Christ that is going out telling people the good news that God is reconciled himself to you. That God has said you are forgiven, you're healed, you're set free, you're set free, you're healed, you belong to me, and that I'm in charge. He's still working. You might have given up on it. It might be too hard for you, but he's still working. I never forget when I was a little kid and uh, I lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota as a hockey town. And uh, we were out playing baseball. I was about 10 years old. And uh, we didn't have a baseball. We just had a, ho- a broken hockey stick. Have you ever seen a hockey stick? It's not even really round at all. It's really super long. And we had a tennis ball and a broken hockey stick. And we were going to play some baseball. So we're outside playing baseball. And, uh, you know, it was a little harder. We kind of got into it because it was harder to hit the ball. But what we were playing was like this long street. And every time somebody missed, man, we had to go run all the way down to get the ball. So we decided, okay, somebody's got to be a catcher, right? So we would stand behind, and if they missed it, you know, we'd throw it to the pitcher. Well, it was my turn to catch. We all took turns, and I didn't really measure the distance very well. And so when he swung it, when he swung really hard, he swung this hockey stick all around, hit me right here on my, on my brow right here instantly knocked out they called uh, for some help they called the police or not the police called them, whatever they called and um, my I was at my aunt and uncle's house when this happened went to the doctor and I had a concussion a real concussion it was it was really bad I had one of those really like looney tunes like you know cartoon knots on my head it was terrible now this is before like texting and all that kind of stuff and the problem was my mom was getting her hair done it was going to take a little while she didn't know what had happened and so they finally got in touch with her and told her uh terrence has been hurt he's at the he came home from the hospital he's got a knife got a concussion i mean i was blurry and dizzy i mean i was messed up and what was funny was my mom was getting a jerry curl for the first time anybody know what a jerry curl was yeah Jerry Curl, just, just look it up. Google Jerry Curl. Not with G. J E R H I. Jerry Curl. My mom was getting her hair hooked up. She was getting a Jerry Curl. What's funny is my uncle had a Jerry Curl too. I'm laying on the couch waiting for my mom. And, uh, you know, I was tough, right? So I'm like 10, 11. You know, I ain't trying to cry. You know, I'm trying to be strong. I'm trying to be a man. You're like, hey, it's all right, guys. I'm good. You know how you are, guys, when you get hurt. You know, your legs like half hanging off. You're like, that's cool. I can go in. It's good. It's fine. Let me play one more, one more time. So I'm laying on the couch. So my mom shows up. And it was funny because I was laying on the couch and she was standing behind the light. And so her hair, you know, she had this really wet jerry curl. Like it was tight. It 
who's hooked up and the light is just shining through it and it's just glistening and sparkling you know look like soul glow on coming to America I mean she just looked I didn't know it was her I was like Uncle James she was like no it's me and I mean here's this jerry curl and this light and she's just glistening and I saw my mother's face and that's when it got me y'all know how it is right you know how kids you know how it is and man when I saw mom I swear like all the pain came back and I just started crying screaming like a look all the bass was gone I didn't even have no bass, but you know, you think you got bass when you're like 10, 11 years old. And all that was gone. I was crying, and she just hugged me, and I'm just crying and crying and crying and crying. And I just wonder, in Revelation 21, verse 4, when it says, He will wipe all the tears from my eyes. I just wonder if that's what it's going to be like. That when we actually see Jesus face to face. See, not only has no one ever seen God, right? And he's the visible image of the invisible God. The Bible's telling us that we will get to see God face to face. Okay, let me, let me break this down again. The Bible says no one in the cosmos has ever seen God. This will be the first time the entire universe will see God face to face because he's too brilliant he's too he will consume you but here in the new heaven and the new earth we get to see him face to face he's going to walk up to each one of us hold us in his arms and personally wipe the tears from our face we get to put our arms around Jesus we get to put our arms around grandma. We get to put our arms around mama. The ones we've lost. The ones we're looking forward to see. That we believe are going to be there. We get to put our arms around the unborn child that was lost. We get to shake hands with those who died in the middle passage of slavery. We get to shake hands and hug those who died, tried to getting into the country. We're going to be reunited, and God's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. He says there's no pain. There's no sorrow. And so the good news is he's still working. We're not there yet, but he's still working. If God can do that work in the cosmos and in the earth, and defeat the devil what can he do in your life there is nothing too hard for God he's a God of choice and all he needs is permission all he needs you to say is let me in because I'm the boss over all of this when I walk in the room pain has to leave when I walk in the room Addiction needs to flee. When I walk in the room, temptation has to run. When I'm in the room, the devil has to flee because I'm in charge of everything. I will Thanos all of this in a minute, but I'm holding back the reins of time to give my children a chance to experience my love and my grace and my salvation. There is nothing too hard for God. There is nowhere where he won't go to save you. And so all these things, will be gone. Here's, here's the good news about it. The pain that we have now, the sorrow that we have now, 
the disappointment that we have now, guess what? It's temporary. It's about to be outdated. It's about to be irrelevant. Do we cry? Yes. Do we experience death? Yes. Do we experience pain? But we can tell ourselves, God is working. I might experience it now, but one of these days, he's going to put my arms around me, and I'm never going to cry again. I'll never say goodbye again. I'll never weep over a lost one again. I'll never experience sorrow again. And so I want to pray for someone today for you to know that God is still working in your life. He's not giving up on you. He's waiting. He's just waiting for permission. There's nothing too hard for him. I want to invite that your eyes would be closed, your heads would be bowed for the sake of those who just want to signify a decision that they made today. And maybe you're just saying, Pastor, I just need prayer. I just need prayer. Help me walk through that that decision to give God permission to lead me. I want you to believe today that he's still at work in your life, that you're not too far gone for him. You're not too much of a basket case. It's not too difficult. But God wants to work on your behalf and for your favor. And I just want to uh, ask if there's anyone today, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, that's just saying, I need special prayer. I just need God, and I want to make his, this invitation to my life. Would you be so bold just to raise your hand? I see your hands already up. God bless you. Man, God bless you. I see it. I want to pray for you. And I want to pray that uh, as, as I pray that you would all pray uh, out loud for the benefit of those who may be praying for this for the first time. Let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. I accept your leadership. Forgive me for my sins. Work out your glory in me. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your death on the cross. I believe I'm forgiven. I'm restored. And today's a new day for me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate those decisions that were made and the lives that were changed for him.